Ayers on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Iyer. Hi, this is the Ayers, and we are back on the road. We covered the beautiful road between Salt Lake City and St. George, Utah this week, and we're down here enjoying a little warmth and sunshine, and although I understand that it's pretty good up in Salt Lake City, too. Well, we had, we came down in order to uh, have a really lovely chance to present to a large group of people in a very historic building, the old Salt Lake, or the old St. George Tabernacle built, I think the first one ever completed by the LDS Church, a historic building, and we had the chance to speak there from that old pulpit where so many great leaders and prophets of the church have spoken before, and we had a lovely tabernacle full of people who were parents and grandparents. Lots of grandparents, because we were talking about life in full, about how fun it is to get old. I, isn't that right? Is that what it was about, <laughs> how fun it is to get old? Yeah. I, I, it really is pretty fun. I'm not sure we it. convinced everybody, but we did have a really nice time. And um, it made us appreciate the fact that um, what we're going to be talking about today how important well, let me just say first it is interesting when we you know we talk to our kids so often and our grandkids on the phone and on skype and on facetime and so on and we always love it and sometimes when we hang up we look at each other and say "Ooh, those were busy days i'm glad we're growing older now and we're just here on our own and we just have to confront all these situations over the phone lines or the video lines instead of in person well although we have some in-person um experiences we have five grandchildren who live pretty close to us and of the 27 so um but we visit the others a lot and the more we visit them the more we appreciate um that we don't have to do all that stuff anymore (laughs) it really is a hard busy time but a great time uh, we asked those people last night how many of them would go back to an earlier time in their lives when their kids were all home, because really most of them were 55 or older. And out of about 400, maybe three raised their hands. Yeah, that was, that was interesting. Um, and then we said, what if, you, what if you could go back, but you couldn't take with you what you know now, and then even those three put their hands back down? Yeah, yeah exactly, because... We do learn a lot as we grow older, but as we look back on what we did, wow, I I just listened to a podcast this morning, This American Life, about regrets. Regrets, um, wow, we do always regret some things that we did or do as parents and grandparents, Um, but it was so fascinating and, and it does kind of lead us into our topic today, which is children and the arts. Let's get to the point here. Let's quit beating around the bush. Let's get right into the heart of our subject, which is, well, in fact, if someone said this to you, Linda, if someone said, you've got to expose your children to the finer things of life, what would you think that they meant? The finer things in life are love, joy, also music, art, and... Well, wait, what if someone said, well, I think the finer things of life are fishing and hunting. Well, that's true, too. (laughs) That's all right. You do need to expose your children and grandchildren to the things that you love. 
that are the finer things of art. That's fine. But let me finish my thought. All right. Or all I'm right. just about okay. to strangle you. Okay. All right. So I'm thinking, you know, I love the arts, but we were so busy with our little children at home with nine kids running around the house and then slowly they emptied out the other and they were taking music lessons. All of them were taking music lessons. We had harp and trumpet and even saxophone at one point, point and piano and lots of violins and um, all kinds of instruments. And there was a lot of practicing going on in our house. But I kind of regret the fact that we didn't expose them more to the fine arts. So are you feeling a little guilty that you didn't take the kids to the symphony more often, to the ballet more often? Right. But how do you do that when you have a, you know... You have to get a babysitter every time you walk out the door, and there are other things that you have to do. I, I'm just regretting a little bit today that we didn't actually expose our kids to the fine arts as much as we should have. Well, I we, think you did better than you remember. I think you took them to a lot of concerts and a lot of... But do you think our kids are doing a better job taking our grandkids to concerts and to art galleries and to the uh, the fine arts type of things than we did? Well, yes, I do, absolutely. And part of that is because I have, um, whenever we visited a wonderful city, a big city, the first place we ever went was the art galleries. And I adore art, and I think that kind of got in their blood. So I think they are doing that uh, much better than we did as young young parents. But um, we have a daughter that lives in Boston who just sent the most beautiful postcard from her five-year-old to me that she made at the Elizabeth Stewart Gardner Museum, which is one of my favorites in the world, right there across from the Fine Arts Museum in Boston. And it, it just made me made my heart sing. It made me realize that it is inculcated in them Somehow, even though we maybe didn't do it as much as I wish we would have when the kids were little. Well, let, let me, let's pull back just for a minute, though. I mean, the theme today is exposing your children to the finer things of life. And in this case, we're talking about the fine arts. But let's, let's imagine that there are some listeners who, who might not be convinced of that. I mean, how, um, why, what would you say, Linda, is the reason... I mean, you love the arts and you're a music major and so on, but let's say that's not the case. What, what would you say is the general reason for advising parents to expose their children to symphonic music, to classical ballet, to um, museums of the masters of the of the visual arts? What What's the reason? What's the bottom line? What's that going to do for our children? And why do we advocate it? Well, lots of ideas pour in my mind when you ask the question that way because I think it takes them out of their world and gets them into someone else's world. I mean, just like a good book does, that's another fine art that um, we need to expose our kids to. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> but it also, it also shows them something. Um, it, it moves them. I think it moves them deeply and emotionally. And I can't go to a concert without getting great ideas. I, I just love listening to beautiful classical music because it gives me great ideas. And maybe that doesn't work for everyone, but I can't go in an art gallery without being lifted to a different dimension. I remember seeing one uh, at the Tate Gallery, uh, not the modern one, but the other one in London. 
And it was a picture of a family leaving their home in Europe to come to America. And there's beautiful green hills, and they're at the top of the hill waving goodbye to their life as they knew it. And to all these uh, friends and family and pets and all the things that they loved, and they were leaving. And it was the, so gorgeous. I just stood there and cried because I, it just made me think. This is what happened to our ancestors when they left. They left well, everything they knew. It just lifts you to a different so, dimension. So, so it lifts you out of your own world, and, and it, I think you're saying it exposes you to excellence. And kids, I, I think we'd agree, even young children, they can sort of sense real excellence when they see something or hear something that is wonderfully perfect. They, they sense that, and it, it, it elevates them. But do you... Do you think it's just enough to expose them? I mean, you just take them to a concert, you just take them to a gallery, or is there a lot of teaching and explaining and um, sort of explanation that goes with it? Or, uh, I mean, with, without that, maybe they don't even get what they're seeing. Yeah, and that's true. And I've often thought, wow, you know, the thousands of hours that we poured into our, and money that we poured into our kids' music lessons, um, it really... Yeah, we don't. We have no virtuoso musicians in our family. We have some people who are good with music, but none that really, really excelled in music or art. But there, and we have artists as well. But wow, I think the greatest advantage of music lessons is that your children appreciate what they see when they see it. I mean, when they sit down and hear an orchestra, if they've been sawing away on a violin for years, they appreciate what that took to sit there in those chairs and play that beautiful music. I, and the same with art. It's just quite incredible what it does to kids. And last night, actually, at this meeting, a lady came up to me afterwards and said, you know, I think, I don't know, I think it does kids just as much good to listen to music as it does to play music. Well, there's some validity to that, but I think really, unless they've experienced it in some way, hands-on, it just means so much more. Well, let me, let me, um, I, I didn't mean to sort of fall into the interrogator role here or the interviewer role, but you, you are the expert on this, Linda. And I'm just wondering if, you know, what if there's a parent out there listening and saying, well, um, you know, uh, why is the art so important? Maybe I need to expose my kids more to sports. Maybe I need to expose them more to, um, history. Um, I, I wonder if uh, I wonder if there's something that you're implying that is particularly special about the arts, and I wonder if some parents today need to think a little more about balance and what they're exposing their kids to. I mean, we know families where their kids are gone to volleyball practice or basketball practice or tennis practice every single day, and if you totaled up the amount of time they're spending on sports, it would be ten times more than they're spending on maybe they've got a little piano lesson or something or maybe they don't but are you sort of advocating more balance in what we expose our kids to well sure don't you think I mean really our boys left in the dark and came home in the dark during the school year because they played basketball so many hours they played before school started they played after school was over 
and then games and games and games. Uh, if we total up the number of hours we sat on basketball benches ah. during the time um, we had our children at home, I think it would probably outweigh the arts. <laughs> well, I'm almost hearing a little bit of um, not regret, maybe, but almost, almost, um, you're almost a little jealous that the sports maybe got more attention than the arts in some of their lives. Well, I think it did. I, I think it equaled out, and I do think the kids love the arts and so on. But I just, you know, sports can become overwhelming. I remember we took a child on a humanitarian trip at Christmas one year, and uh, we won't tell you which high school, but the coach said, if you take this boy with you, I'm sorry, but he won't be starting. He was the star center of the team. And we said, well, sorry, we're just going to have to live with it. And it was pretty amazing. We did take him. We did a water system in Bolivia, and we came back, and he did not start him. Well, the, fun, the funny thing about that is he didn't start him, but he put him into the game about 30 seconds after it started. <laughs> hey, we've got to take a little break, but when we come back, we're going to continue this discussion. What does it do for children when they're exposed to the arts? And we're even going to tell you a couple of personal stories about the arts in Salt Lake City and and hopefully add to your appreciation of the tremendous cultural opportunities that most mid to large size cities have and the parents can take advantage of. We'll be right back after this break. Ayers on the Road, parenting in a modern world. Here's Richard and Linda Iyer. And we're back. We're talking today about the arts and children and how that affects their lives. Uh, all kinds of arts. And, and so we, when, we, when we finished the first half, we were just saying how you need balance. You know, we're not saying that the arts are the end all and the thing that makes kids refined and the thing that gives them their sense of culture but it certainly contributes to all that and you want to balance it with the things the other things you're trying to expose them to i guess that's pretty obvious well you know if there are grandparents listening i have to say that i've done a better job with the art since the kids left home and started having their own kids <laughs> well that is a good point the grandparents um, ought to be involved in this and sometimes that's a role grandparents can choose to play like a a grandpa can say, you know, I, I, I look at my grandkids and I think one thing they're not getting enough of is exposure to the arts. So I'm going to take them to the concert this week or whatever. What, what better outing than to take your grandkids to a symphony? Um, actually, I am going to do that in a couple of weeks with our two 10-year-old um, twin grandsons who, interestingly, love Peter and the Wolf because... Two years ago at Grammy Camp, we I gave I, I usually send music to the grandkids before they get to Grammy Camp in the summer, and we've talked about Grammy Camps before, but it's just a, less than twenty four hours an overnight thing that I have with small groups of my grandchildren, and and we talk about a lot of fun things, but one of them is music and art, and um, so I sent them the the recording with Peter and the Wolf, and then we acted it out. I had some costumes there, and they acted it out and had so much fun with it. And now the Utah Symphony is producing a beautiful little afternoon, probably not more than an hour, 
of um, entertainment for kids, and we're, they're doing Peter and the Wolf. They're showing a movie, but the symphony is playing along with the movie, and I am so excited, and they're pretty excited, too, I have to say, because they have been exposed to it before. So there are a lot of fun things that you can do with grandkids. Our little girls are artists, not to be gender-specific, but it just happens that we have three little girls that love art, and I get them a little art set every year. We do some art together, and they are really quite remarkable. And the more you expose them to it, the better they get. And so I think you can really make a difference with grandchildren, with the things that you love, and especially with the arts. The parents may not have time, as we did not, to experience um, Quite as with much their as kids. they want, yeah. yeah. Well, I want to say uh, a little, I want to be a little personal here for a minute. One reason that we love the arts in a particularly almost personal way is, and we raised our children in Salt Lake City, but this would apply to most mid to large cities that have a symphony, that have a ballet, that maybe have a theater or two where kids can go and see live drama, live entertainment. And in our case, it got pretty personal because the first time we moved to Utah with our children, we moved from Washington, D.C., and we came out, I was a political consultant, and I was managing a Senate campaign. And then when it was over, we had, I'm just going to share this because I think it's, it's so, such a good story. There's a wonderful man in Salt Lake City named O.C. Tanner who wanted more than anything to have a symphony hall in Salt Lake City. And Marisa Bravanel, who was the orchestra leader of the Utah Symphony and had been the maestro there for 20 or 30 years. And was so full of love oh, for music so and the arts. Love. We loved Maurice. And he did a lot to help young children appreciate music. And at that time, the Utah Symphony was performing in the Salt Lake Tabernacle, the, uh, the LDS Church's beautiful historic tabernacle, which is a wonderful acoustical building, but a little uneven for sound for orchestra because of the way the roof is. And and uh, Maurice Bravanel wanted a home, a real home for the Utah Symphony. So Obert Tanner had been trying with some other leaders of the community to figure out a way to build a multi-purpose hall in Salt Lake that would work for ballet and for theater and for orchestra and so on. Uh, a hall that could be adjusted, had a big enough stage for drama and for ballet, but also had the right acoustics for music. And anyway, make a long story short, uh, Obert Tanner asked me if I would stick around a little longer. We were ready to move back to Washington, D.C., but would I stay and would we run a bond election to try to build this multi-purpose arts center? And I think, Linda, you were the one that encouraged me. Linda's the lover of the arts, and, and I was the politician. But she said, let's do it. Let's stay and try to do this. So we got started on this campaign. And by the way, that seemed to be the only way to get the funding to build this multi-purpose arts center. And the worry was that how are you going to get people to vote to tax themselves? That's what a bond election is. You have to vote to raise your own taxes to pay for this building. And we were concerned that uh, there would be some people who'd love to do that. <clears throat> they would be the lover of the arts, but there'd be others who would say, well, why should we tax ourselves to build an arts center that we might never go to? So anyway, 
again, long story short, we weren't so sure it would pass. And we also had an acoustician I still remember so well, a man named Cyril Harris from New York City, who we had invited in as a consultant to help us build a hall that had the right acoustics. And one day he said, you know, the problem with multi-purpose halls is they, they're a compromise. You're not going to get the best sound because you're building them so that they'll also accommodate theater and the ballet. And the best sound is in a shoebox, like a, just a rectangle that, that's just for symphony orchestra and everything's built for sound. Can't you find a, a, a theater that you can restore for ballet and for, for drama and so on? So, and can't we have two halls instead of one? And my first thought was, oh, my goodness. We can't, I don't know if we can get people to vote for one hall. We'd never get them to vote for two. But then, Linda, a real serendipity happened. And you remember this story. <laughs> I do. I'll tell it really fast. I was driving down 2nd South in Salt Lake City one day on my way to the airport. And I noticed the old Capitol Theater, which didn't look like much. It was all boarded. I mean, it was all, you know... They'd taken, it was a movie theater. It showed B-movies and, and worse, and I'd never paid any attention to it. But I, I looked at it, and I wondered what was inside, and I wandered in and looked around, and I realized that that was a classic old beautiful theater. It had just been sort of boarded over and wall sheetrocked, and the ceilings had been lowered and so on. But I could see there was a real theater under there, so... Again, long story short, we ended up realizing that we could build Symphony Hall as just a music hall, and we could restore the Capitol Theater for ballet and for drama, for theater, and we could do both for less than the budget to build one multi-purpose hall. And that was the thing that finally won that bond election because voters couldn't resist a, a good deal. It was like a two-for-one deal. We can get two halls for the arts for less than the price of one multi-purpose hall. And we ended up winning the election and Marisa Bravenel, <laughs> this wonderful old conductor, this maestro, I'll never forget him just crying like a baby of enjoy for the fact that we were now going to have a symphony hall. So the reason I tell that somewhat long story is from then on, every time we would take our kids to Symphony Hall, we knew its history. We knew how it had come about, and we still love that hall. Well, and now we just saw Swan Lake at the Capitol Theater with all the new renovations they've done there. Yeah. I'm sure that, that maybe those dancers for the Nutcracker were a little bit miffed because maybe the backstage was not great at the Capitol Theater for all of them. But honestly, now they have done the most fabulous renovation, and ah, it was just stunning it was such a miracle to go in there and see the not only the performance but what they've done with that building and yeah. really made it and we we know great. we know many of you listening are not living in salt lake city but but wherever you are if you're close enough to a metro area that has a resident symphony that has a ballet that has a theater troupe or whatever that's a great place to go. And if you're not, if you live in a more rural community, 
it is amazing what some small communities do with community theater or even with high school productions and so on. Or even elementary productions. Yeah. Our, my sister's little, four of her little grandchildren were in The Sound of Music a few weeks ago. And honestly, it was so amazing what they can do with little elementary kids. What I have to ask is where were those people when our kids were in school? Yeah. <laughs> because we didn't do things like that. Big productions and so on. The junior highs and the high schools some but not so much. It really is such a great thing to expose kids to these things when they're young and the more they can be involved, whether it's as an actor or a part of play or part of a symphony, even if it's kind of dreary to listen to when you're in elementary school, it really is amazing what it can do to their little souls. So again, we, what we don't want this this episode of Ayers on the Road to do is put any anyone on a guilt trip. We don't want you as parents out there saying, oh boy, there's another thing I haven't done. I haven't exposed my kids enough to the arts. I'm feeling guilty. You know, none of us do everything we wish we did, but it's it's just, I think one of the purposes of this show is just to make us think of different aspects of parenting. And I'm going to come back, Linda, to the word balance. I think what what all parents have to struggle with, and it's never easy, is to say, look, I'm raising these kids. Some of them have one talent, some have another, some have one aptitude, some have another. And part of finding out who your children are and what their gifts are and what makes them happy and what they might excel at, part of that process is working at, at doing your best within your circumstances to expose kids to various things. And the reason we decided to do this particular show is that we do see um, maybe a little imbalance in a lot of families where what's getting left out is exposure to the arts. And by that, I really mean in the broadest sense of, of dance, theater, music, literature, things that maybe get left out in the media world where everyone's watching TV and where everyone's playing video games and so on. Can we find a little bit of time to expose our children to the fine arts? Because in many ways, those are the most refining influences we have in our culture. And it's so true. We just, we don't want to leave you exactly as Richard said with um, feeling guilty, but we do want you to remember that you may have some regrets if you don't do this because, <laughs> so, there. Um, so there, I'm, I'm back around. We don't want to feel guilty, but, but go we're, ahead we're and going feel guilty. Anyway. <laughs> you know, just do what you can to expose your kids. And I do have to say that you don't have to expose them to everything. Just a little bit sometimes will pique their interest and kids gravitate to their passions. You don't have to have them be a ballerina to figure out that they love ballet. It, we, we hope that you'll give this a thought. And it might just be as simple as putting a classical music station on your programming in the in the car. Right, in the car stereo. when they come home from school. Just exposing them to the those kinds of things really is helpful to the finer things of life. So it's been great to be with you again on Ayers on the Road. We'll be traveling again this next week, and we'll see you next time from wherever we are on Ayers on the Road. Bye-bye. <laughs>